Grace, mercy, and peace to you this Father's Day. From God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Storms are among the most powerful forces in God's creation. We know from the very fact that storms can sometimes be destructive that they were not part of God's original plan of creation. They came to be as a result of humankind's fall into sin. Just like all other destructive things in nature like earthquakes and fires, we brought them upon ourselves due to our inability to perfectly keep God's law. That's not to say that each specific storm is somehow God's punishment being inflicted upon various segments of humanity for specific sins, as some famous American televangelists have sometimes falsely claimed. Hurricane Katrina certainly didn't happen just because New Orleans is a wild and corrupt and sometimes bawdy town. If that were the way that God worked, we could be pretty sure that Las Vegas or Bangkok or Washington, D.C. would have long since been wiped from the face of the earth. But storms certainly are a characteristic of our fallen world. They're part and parcel of the consequences of sin first experienced by our earthly ancestors when they'd rebelled against God and lost the perfection of his creation. I don't know about you, but I oftentimes find storms rather fascinating, whether they're viewed from afar or watched on the Weather Channel or even experienced firsthand. Now, I certainly don't like the damage that they can cause, nor the injuries or even the deaths that are sometimes resultant from them. Still, to witness a storm and to realize that even the most powerful of storms is still under the governance of God's will, and that it holds but a mere fraction of his infinite power, well, that ought to give us some pause to reflect upon. Sometimes, if the winds aren't too strong and the lightning isn't too close, I don't mind sitting out on a covered porch or under a picnic shelter with a cold Lutheran beverage in my hand, seeing and feeling and hearing and, yes, even smelling all the sensory input that a thunderstorm can bring. When viewed from a safe place, they can be quite fun and stimulating to observe. It's rarely pleasurable to be engulfed in such a violent storm, however. Driving through windswept sheets of rain or hail or sleet or even snow, trying to see a slippery road through streaking wipers, that's no sane person's idea of fun. And if it's bad to experience a storm that severe in two dimensions while planted firmly on solid ground, it's even more frightening to do it in three dimensions, such as on the sea or in the air. I remember an airplane flight many years ago, headed from North Carolina up to Ohio. A colleague and I were traveling together in hopes of eventually making it home to Illinois for the weekend. Coming across the Appalachian Mountains, he leaned forward and tapped me on the shoulder, pointing out toward the horizon. It was easy to see the well-defined edge of the approaching storm front. 
As we got to the far side of the mountains, we could feel the increasing turbulence as the winds began to sweep up the western slopes. There weren't any gaps in that oncoming wall of clouds, and we knew that it was going to be a very bumpy ride. There wasn't anything that we could do except pull our seatbelts tight and hope for the best. Now, I knew that my buddy Al was not likely to have uttered a prayer himself because he wasn't exactly known for being a a God-fearing type. In fact, probably the best way to describe Al was that he smoked like a chimney, he drank like a fish, and he cussed like a pirate. So if there was going to be any invoking of God's mercy and care at that point, I was going to have to do double duty, and that's exactly what I did. What seemed like hours, but in fact only turned out to be about 20 minutes or so, we rode what seemed to be a cross between a roller coaster and a bucking rodeo bronco. Except that our jumps and our drops were not measured in feet, but in dozens of feet, and occasionally even went sideways as well. More than once I could feel the burning, acidic taste of bile in the back of my throat as my stomach mirrored the bumps and the jumps of the plane. In addition to the protection that God was providing at this point, I was also immensely thankful for my lunchtime choice of grilled cheese and potato salad rather than Al's order of buffalo wings. (laughs) The rain against the aluminum skin and the glass sounded like gravel on a tin roof, and the changes in pitch as the engine spooled up and down in the surging winds seemed to be what I imagined the painful shrieks of a dying cat might be. The sky outside alternated between utter darkness and strobe brightness as lightning strikes illuminated the inside of greenish clouds. It was the most frightening experience I'd had at that point up to my life, up to that point in my life. And just as I thought things couldn't get any worse, I felt a tingling in my arms and legs. And suddenly the whole world around us lit up in a white-hot flash as if we were staring into God's own face. At that same instant, the plane was slapped sideways like a mere toy in the sky. It was at that point that I felt what the disciples probably felt that day on the Sea of Galilee, trying to guide their foundering boat through pitching waves while Jesus seemed totally unconcerned and inattentive. Although I don't remember explicitly asking God the same question at the time, and I probably would have had a hard time admitting it even if I did ask it, I'm sure that something very similar went through my mind at that moment. Don't you care that we're perishing, Lord? Jesus obviously does care then and now. After rebuking the wind and the waves, calming their wild tempest, and rescuing the disciples from probable death, Jesus has a slight rebuke for them as well. Why are you so afraid, he asks? Have you still no faith? That's a tough question to answer, really. It seems that our faith does leave us at times especially in hard times. It's easy to have faith when things are going well, isn't it? To use a rather obvious pun in relation to the situation in which the disciples found themselves that day, we find faith very easy when it's all smooth sailing. But the fact is, 
life isn't always smooth sailing, is it? It's a lot more challenging to have faith, to have unquestioning love and complete trust in God when everything around us seems to be crashing down, when we're nagged by illness or injury, we doubt God's healing power, when our retirement funds or our college savings shrink to a mere fraction of their prior value, we're suspect of his providence, when our job is eliminated, or when our grades drop, or when our friends betray us or snicker, then we wonder if God really cares. When we argue with our spouses, or when they simply avoid us or treat us like we're part of the furniture, we question whether or not he matched us with the right individual. When people in our congregation or in our synod bicker like children, we wonder if we're really part of his church at all. Franklin Roosevelt, in one of his more famous speeches, once told Americans, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. It's a memorable line, sure, but it's not strictly true. There are plenty of things for us to fear among the storms of life, especially if we think that we're facing them all alone. But God doesn't want us to allow those fears to be greater than the fear, love, and trust we are to have in him above all things. The fact is, you should expect some storms in your life. You should probably even welcome the fact that you face storms, for without them you would have no appreciation of the rescue that God provides you from them, whether they be physical or spiritual. If the world embraces you, if it soothes you, encourages you, and supports you, something is wrong. It means that you are standing on the shore while Jesus and the faithful sail off into that brewing squall. You want to be in that boat with Jesus. For when we are living an active faith, we find ourselves continually in a storm of the devils in the world's making. A storm no less threatening and even far more dangerous than that which the disciples faced on the lake that day. You know, it's a funny thing about storms. They don't respect boundaries, do they? Not levees and dikes. Not seawalls or coastlines. Not, ma- not man-made territory borders drawn artificially on some map either. And certainly not small boats tossed about in the waters, no matter how well built or how skillfully piloted. The disciples learned this all too well when the waves began swamping into the boat while Jesus dozed near the tiller. Spiritual storms, they don't respect boundaries either. As Jesus indicated after calming the wind and the waves, the disciples' problem that day was as much spiritual as it was physical. They doubted. They feared that their end was at hand, that all was lost. And from their words, they even worried that Jesus might not care that this was happening. Though in their words, there was also an appeal to him that contained an element of hope. We offer this same mix of despair and hope each week, don't we? When we come together to confess our sins. We express fears that we are sinful by nature. That we are unworthy of his blessings. We admit our inability to avoid offending God and our neighbor in thought and word and deed. And we cower in fear, knowing that we do indeed deserve his temporal and eternal punishment and that we cannot escape it on our own. 
But even in the midst of this despair, we have something that the disciples lacked on the lake that day. We have faith. We trust that in emptying ourselves before him, Jesus will intervene. He will come to our rescue, calming the wrath of Almighty God that would otherwise consume us. Note, if you will, the predicament in which Job finds himself in our Old Testament lesson today. Though a faithful man, Job had not emptied himself on this occasion and humbled himself. Rather, Job began to question God's wisdom in the troubles that he faced. And how did God confront Job? In a storm, in a whirlwind. In that, he made it clear who is truly in control of all things, who governed creation and all of its wonders and its powers, who held it back from making humanity face complete and utter destruction. When Job and when the disciples lost faith, that's when they faced destruction. They only saw and believed what was visible to them. They saw and they felt the storms, and they concluded that this was all there was, and they realized that they couldn't stand up to it. And that's what unbelief does. Unbelief only trusts what can be seen and felt and proven. And that's because unbelief is a very ordinary thing. It's common, unremarkable, drab, dull, weak and worldly. Unbelief scoffs at the extraordinary. But faith is different. Faith sees what is not apparent. It grasps on to what is not easily accepted as being real, and it overcomes what is visible or what is felt. Faith not only embraces the extraordinary, it is extraordinary. It subdues the flesh. It holds back the devil. It rejects what the world sees and thinks is important and true. Faith does battle with the turbulence in our lives that are caused by the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. Faith is not merely an oil that is poured out on troubled waters to smooth them, but it's the reaching down of the almighty hand of God to actually compress the tempest of sin and unbelief and to hold it back against its will. Faith holds all of these powers at bay, not merely withstanding them or struggling against them to a standstill or a standoff, but actually beating them back, subduing them, and defeating them. Faith is so extraordinary, in fact, that it conquers the world and it even destroys death. So don't fret with anxiety or cower with fear when you face the storms of this life either the little swells or the great tempests. It may appear to you that your Lord is sleeping, unconcerned with your welfare, or even whether or not you perish. But you need not fear. Remember that He is with you here in the vessel of the church. You were tossed about, it's true, but you've also been splashed with water here. You call out in fear, but He's here. He's here in flesh and blood offering you protection and safety. And he's here to rebuke the wind and the waves, and that's also sweet gospel that should echo in your ears and apply to your fears. Peace, be still. Who then is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? He is Jesus, your Savior. 
And he cares so much that you were perishing that he threw himself into the path of the oncoming storm of God's terrible wrath. Through faith in this, you will find peace and eternal rest from this life's storms. And you will receive the crown of glory on the golden shore of that glassy sea. In the name of our perfect and loving Heavenly Father, in the name of our Son, His Son, our Prince of Peace, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, who gives and sustains your faith. Amen.